You're listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Captivate and on Patreon. You can get bonus content of our show on either of those platforms or on Apple Podcasts with a private subscription to the Amazal Ministries Podcast Network. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 in the Christian Standard Bible say, If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Uh, Here, Jesus is instructing his followers on how they should behave with one another. This is sort of an internal political structure that Jesus was setting up. Uh, Pastor Will Rose, given that he is God and that his wish is for the church to be united, why would he have given us such instruction rather than just telling us all to remain united in all things? Well, yeah, um, we believe in the full humanity and divinity of Christ. But I also think about when I hear this passage, how Matthew is addressing his community of faith. So obviously there's something going on in this community where Matthew feels like he needs to address uh, some infighting or conflict or disagreement that's going on. So he's setting up a formula uh, to help them deal with however they are disagreeing with one another and not getting along. So there is this kind of structure and formula and a way to say, hey, this is how we deal with conflict with one another. We go to our person first and we try to have a conversation about it. And if that doesn't work, then you bring someone along as a witness or someone to hold each other accountable, a third party, and then eventually bring it to the whole community because it affects the whole community. So um, yeah, he could just snap his fingers and say, be unified, but we're people and people happen and community happens. And we're going to talk about governance and policies because we're people are going to people and so we need to have some ways to help us stay in line with each other and and work side by side with one another for the greater purpose hey everybody welcome to the whole church podcast roundtable edition you guys know i love doing these we usually do all about every six weeks it's been a while it's been a while since we had one um today's table isn't as large as some of the other round tables, but it is very well rounded, in my opinion. Um, guys, I can't wait to jump into this. This is the whole church podcast. We are joined by your favorite co-host, the one whom Machete got his mustache modeled after, the one and only TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell. TJ, how's it going? No, it's going. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. I forgot to include some like cosmology in there. You know, the cosmic mustache, TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. gotta gotta keep it yeah. tied I have to have together, enough, you know. I have to have enough mustache for me and Joe. Yeah. So yeah. I've been trying to yeah. I'm crossing I had to reference the cosmology to cross in and give a give a head nod to our other podcast that we do with Pastor Will Rose, who joins us from Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Um another member of your round table. And of course, we are also joined by the the legendary podcaster, the officiato of all things beard, the one and only Pastor Joe Day. Joe, how's it going, man? Not too shabby. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you guys for being here. I can't wait to join, jump into today's topic of polity and procedure and how does the church practically get along? You know, a lot of times we keep our conversations in a whole church really almost abstract of, okay, what are these, what are our intellectual barriers or what is it that's like our theology that's different? And when it really comes down to it, a lot of unity is on the grounds. How do we make sense of this and structure our unity in a way that we can actually work together that makes sense? And it comes down to some, some what some people might say is boring stuff. And that's what today's going to be. It's going to be an exciting episode about boring stuff on how to practically do this thing called unity we keep talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so if that's the kind of thing that interests you and in, uh, this sort of talk in general, what interests you more? Check out the Honest Al Ministries podcast network. Uh, link is below for other shows like ours or affiliated with ours that aren't like ours at all. If that floats your boat, uh, you can also chat with us on our Discord. Is it also in the notes? It's probably the easiest way to get in touch with us unless you have a phone number, um, which you can ask for on Discord. So it's a. Yeah, I'll know. say if you just get on Discord, uh, unless you seem yeah. completely crazy, well, we'll probably let you text us. I might yeah. give you a Google number, though. You'll see. We'll see. Just depends. And with that, of course, before we do anything else, uh, we have to exercise a, um, a great spiritual gift of silliness. You know, my favorite way, my favorite form of procedure of unity. When we talk about a silly question, like we'd like to do on our show, of course, TJ and I will answer first, give you time to think about it, guys. Today's question is if a Canadian goose were to become an Avenger, which Avenger do you think it would be? Actually, TJ, I'm going to make you go last because we're going to do no repeat answers. Everybody has to give an answer, no repeat answer. And my answer is the Hulk. Um, because Canadian geese are just angry. I mean, it's just a thing. They're more powerful than you think they are. They will attack you. So my answer is the Hulk. Joe, what are we going with? What Avenger would a Canadian goose be? You absolutely would take mine and then be like, go next. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I loved how sorry. he said no repeats and then immediately said his so he could claim it super fast. Yeah. You see what yeah. he did there. Well, I just don't want you guys to have anything too easy. He wrote, he wrote his answer in the outline. <laughs> I know. I was yeah. prepared. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Captain America because it would be ironic because it's a Canadian goose. <laughs> I do love yeah. that answer, actually. <laughs> That's fantastic. Captain also, Canada. Uh, Canadian geese, I'm pretty sure, are from Japan. They're not even from Canada. That's the best Well, part. there you go. I love them. <laughs> Will, what is, uh, what's your Canadian goose Avenger? <laughs> Um, I'm actually going to go something, uh, uh, you know, this may be go against the rules, but I'm going to say that my goose is the actual Quinjet that the Avengers ride in because mm. it can fly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that mm -hmm. cheating? Try again. Yeah, that's cheating. Try again. <laughs> no, no, it's the Quinjet. It's, it I, is a transformer. That's a good Quinjet. enough. It's a new, it's a new uh, transformer that transfers from a goose into a Quinjet and then is a member of the Avengers. I'll take that only yeah. because Transformers did exist in one of the Marvel universes at one point because they had their own Spider-Man. Yeah. TJ. Um, Mockingbird. <laughs> West Coast Avengers. Funny. <laughs> I wanted someone to say Hawkeye because we don't need them. Anyway. I've never seen a goose shoot a bow or I would have. Mm, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. 
Uh, yeah, so. I keep saying, I keep sharing that I think Joshua should create a book of these silly questions and just have, and then don't, people. Don't tell the secret. This is spoilers. That's a 2024 announcement. I know 2024 <laughs> announcement. That way, you know, you could do ground. You could do, yeah. you know, breaking the ice exercises. exercises with your communities and youth sure groups. No and, pastors are taking notes and getting my free book, my book for free. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna charge y'all a lot for this. We used to have the thing was if I did have a book, I probably would just give it to you. We used to have a book with all of them. That's true. I did actually write them all down in a, in a notebook. I need to find that because I need all of them. Anyway, for today's purposes, getting into all the stuff we're going to get into, when we say the church, um, we mean the collective of everyone who follows Jesus and accept, has accepted salvation. When we say the church, um, when we say churches, plural, we're probably referring to individual groups of believers that meet together in specific locations and regular basis, like your local congregations. Um, we might clarify throughout the episode, Big C Church or Little C Church. Big C Church is referring to that larger collective of all Christians. Little C is when we talk about these individual congregations. It's probably going to come up a lot and be important today when we're talking about polity, because what we do at a local level and what we do at a you know more broad level, probably going to look pretty different. So um, that's just some distinctions to make sense of. We might talk about denominational church, that kind of stuff. So we'll be making some of those distinctions and um. Just remember the big C, little C thing. If you're listening, that'll probably help you follow the conversation, I hope. Um, and, you know, a lot of people who'd listen to stuff like this have already heard all that. And if you haven't, congratulations. You're here. We hope you enjoy this. But <laughs> before we discuss um, what we specific things about church polity or anything like that, I think it's useful if we all just kind of go around and briefly, you know, not describe, but just kind of give a definition of how your church polity works. Um, I'm actually going to be bowing out of this for the most part, because, you know, I used to be Pentecostal, which just means if I did what I used to be, all my answers are TJ's answers. And I'm now attending the Lutheran church, which means if I do what my current thing is, my answers are just Will's answers. I just, um, Will knows the answers better. So (laughs) no reason for me to give them. Yeah. So, uh, Will, let's start with you. You go to a Lutheran, you pastor a Lutheran church. How, like, what is the term of how, like, you know, like a Baptist, if Christian was here, they're self-governing churches. How would you describe the type of governance? Governance? You know, word. Yeah, we, um, yeah, I'll try to keep this brief, but just to kind of in context. So in our creeds, we say we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And by Catholic, we mean universal. So we know that we're a part of the larger church, Big C, like you talked about. But we're also part of the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. So we're part of a larger denomination, Lutheran denomination. And and so part of that what governs the larger denomination also governs who we are. And then uh, broken down a little further, our our congregation is a part of the North Carolina Synod. And Synod is just a word that means grouped together. And so we're part of a, we have a bishop in North Carolina who is kind of like our HR and overseer to the churches who are in North Carolina. And then we're a part of a, of a conference, the Midlands Conference, grouped with other churches uh, in our conference. And then um, we have our particular community of faith, the actual church itself, Holy Trinity Lutheran Church and Lutheran Campus Ministry in Chapel Hill. Our church is governed by a church council elected from the congregation that is that council is governed by our own church constitution we the church council gathers every month to oversee the business of 
of our church, Holy Trinity, but that is in continuity in conjunction with um, our constitution and in the constitution of North Carolina Synod and the constitution of the ELCA. So we are our own body. We own our own land. We own our building, um, but we're a part of a larger church. So we're kind of a both and part of a larger national denomination, but we're also self-governing with our own elected council members, ministry teams. We have our own budget and, and we have our own constitution that governs how how we do life and community together um, as a community of faith in Chapel Hill. Also knowing that that's in continuity with our synodical constitution and also the ELCA uh, constitution as well. I hope that helps some. Yeah, yeah. It's a really interesting question to ask someone who is a part of the ELCA, um, especially because, you know, if you're familiar with a lot of the non-denominational Baptist churches, they say they're self-governed and for the most part, they mean it. They don't have to answer to a bishop or anything like that. Their church can just decide to not go to any of the meetings and just, you know, not do anything that the SBC considers heresy. And that that's it. They don't have to do anything else if they don't want to. Um, right. And the Lutheran church is interesting because I, I think my understanding is most Lutheran <clears throat> congregations do have that kind of church council that governs the local congregation. But you still do answer to a bishop and kind of have not quite hierarchical, but kind of like hierarchical-ish. Yeah, Yeah, and that bishop is also elected by the synod. So we send representatives from our church to the annual meeting uh, to vote on the synodical budget, to vote on who's going to represent ministry teams and institutions within our synod in the ELCA. But also that bishop um, is elected by the North Carolina Synod. So they they are elected by the people, but they're also uh, they're calling us to be in charge and oversee the governance of what uh, the the synod and the congregations that. As a part of the Senate, so, um, so yeah, we ha- and we have a national bishop too, housed in Chicago, a part of the ELCA, and she um, was elected by the ELCA at the ELCA <clears throat> assembly, and that assembly happens every three years. So mm. that that's something yeah. that happens. There. Yeah, crazy. I think the only other person who could have joined the roundtable that would have been just as interesting to answer this question would be our other guest, Joe. <laughs> Joe, um, as far as like. I, I, my understanding is you still do some of the home church stuff, but you also work for a church now that has its own meeting place. So I have two contexts. One is the house church that is um, a solo. It has it has become a solo pastor model um, with a um, a team uh, within with basically like an oversight team. Um, what in a um, in a in a Sunday morning model may be referred to as um, elders. Um, we just don't use the the term not specifically for any any reason. Just don't. It's just an oversight team. Um, originally, we were uh, a two pastor model, um, but it became one and just never changed. Um, the other context is um, I have I have been converted and I am uh, a part of the Sunday morning model uh, as as a pastor and uh, I, I I'm with a non denominational thirteen um, year old church plant um, so there is a plurality of pastorship there's four of us on the team. Um, and then there is um, a team of of uh, elders that are being put in place. Would 
both the house church and the non-denominational that you're a part of be considered uh, self-governing churches? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there are there's a church constitution and um, like the bylaws and all of that kind of stuff that keep the that that keep the um, the Sunday morning model on the rails. Um, but it is very much a the 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 team will bring it to um, the church body and then the church body will will vote on it on different matters. Yeah, yeah. Um, TJ, how would you answer this for uh, your church? You, I grew up in the Church of God of Prophecy. You still kind of attend, I think mostly attend the Church of God of Prophecy there, which is a Pentecostal denomination. Um, yeah, how would you answer that question? Yeah, will you repeat the question? Self-governed? Mostly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's less of a question and more of a, yeah, how would you describe the the way your church is governed? So I, not being part of a pastoral team, not a hundred percent sure. It could be different. There could be like a shadow Pentecostal church government that I'm not aware of. <laughs> but funny, uh, I am just. It could be there. Uh, the yeah, churches in our denomination this. are all more or less free to do as they please, as long as they adhere to our doctrine. Uh, they take guidelines from our mm-hmm. state teams, like our our state pastoral director, state overseer, stuff like that. Uh, they're just given the guidelines. They're like, hey, you know, hit on this. Uh, you know, keep your church safe. Don't start summoning demons. We're good. Yeah, I think the the biggest difference with your church and like your usual SBC church, um, this is funny because I, I do actually know a, a decent amount of it because I was going to try to be a pastor in the denomination and then not end up leaving the denomination. It's a whole thing. Um, but they have state overseers. I was going to say, instead of bishops, they, they do still have bishops, just different. But um, yeah, most people think of bishops as being over areas and having some kind of authority. Um, bishops in the Church of God of Prophecy don't really have any extra authority. A bishop in the Church of God of Prophecy is a pastor who they really liked, so they gave him a cooler title, basically. That's, yeah, that's pretty much true. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Just the one that actually has cool more guy. authority is the state overseer, who also has to be ordained. But yeah, and uh, the state overseer could at any minute just fire a pastor, move a pastor to another church, that kind of thing. But it doesn't really get involved with how the churches do stuff outside of that. I think that would probably be the biggest difference, though, is that yeah. a pastor can just be moved. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like being a school teacher. <laughs> yeah. 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 School teacher, principals, assistant principals. Yeah. As you know, um, bishops, too. And, I, and and a big part of our bishops do um, or the bishop within the synod helps with the call process to help churches find and guide their the churches in the call process of calling a new pastor to be their pastor. So I have I do have freedom. Our particular denomination, the LCA, doesn't the bishop wouldn't move me without, you know, consulting the church or or me or that kind of thing. It's like, hey, there he may say, oh, there's a church down the coast that, that does surf lessons and you'd be perfect there. Do you want to be a part of it? And I was like, ooh, I'm, I'm intrigued. Let's have more conversation. Not just like, <laughs> hey, I think you need to be go to Hickory, North Carolina, right, you know, next month. And be like, ooh. So there's a little bit more conversation and a process of me um, talking to family and congregation, whether I feel called in this place or not. So there's a larger conversation I had, but they help with that process of moving and, and leading churches to find pastoral staff. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty similar to, to a church of God of yeah. prophecy. Yeah, it's very the, rare. It's, yeah. The overseer wouldn't just move somebody unless they had to. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's so interesting to me to hear from my brothers and sisters in the pastorate from different denominations that are um, that have the oversight of the denominational process that means that they could get moved or there could be a reshuffling of the deck and all of that kind of stuff because whether it is the, in in the house church scene or in the Sunday morning scene, um, I, I mainly hang out with church planters. I I am a church planter at heart, and and all of that. And um, at this point, I wouldn't I wouldn't I I have been convinced of the virtues of the multiplicity of pastors, like that that multiple pastor model, um, just ac- accountability, team dynamic, accentuate strengths, the whole nine yards. Um, but that idea of moving moving a pastor without the like in the in the kind of way like in 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 the 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 case of of um the church that I'm at um it is very much a we believe that this is that this is a that 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 this is a good fit now the the church votes on it sort of thing and so to to me not doing it that way seems so odd. Like there's different structures. It all works. It's fine. Like that's, that's how, that's how that denominate. I'm not, I'm not taking jabs at different denominations or anything like that. It's just having a governing body that's out, that's above the layer of the actual church to me seems like such a foreign concept to what would make it, church small c operate um most effectively yeah i don't know yeah. if that made a lick of sense yeah i think uh that might be something that martin luther would have agreed with you about a little bit <laughs> but ironically no what's funny is uh so I, th- I think what joe's describing is a lot like how the baptist churches do too where they all uh, kind of vote within themselves to bring a pastor up and a lot of it's like within their local even though they are all a part of the sbc it's confusing What's interesting, though, is that usually when we're talking about like churches where people just get moved, that's usually more like high liturgical, like the Catholic Church, obviously, just boom, here's the priest. He's going there. We're going to move him around. We're going to make this guy step back. We're going to make him take we're going to force him to take a sabbatical. That happens sometimes. Orthodox Church. What's what's funny to me is like the Methodist Church even has that structure. And you would think that Lutherans would, too, because Lutheran is a pretty high liturgical little group. But uh, yeah, not so much, it turns out, according to Pastor Will. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, I think, you know, part of Luther's um, theology was this priesthood of all believers, right? It was this hierarchy that the pastor is more spiritual and more Christian than the laity sitting in the pew. We're all baptized children of God who who have gifts and, and some we're just called to certain roles within. So the accountant who uses their gifts within my congregation is just as um, spiritual or close to God as, uh, say, I am who preaches on on Sunday. So that yeah. that is there. I think when it goes back to Wesley, a little bit of history there, I'm, I'm not Methodist, but before I know of it, is that Wesley was big on um, moving the preacher around so the local church doesn't get too attached to the personality of the actual pastor who's preaching. So um, that they are able to do their work, and then the work of the pastor and preacher is to come in and preach the gospel and equip them. Um, and so that itinerant preacher moving around the goal of that is so they don't get too attached to one particular person um, that they can have a little bit more diversity in, in who they are and see themselves as apart from the person who is actually the person up front every Sunday. 
from. And and this notion of of people, you know, I think I think community, yeah, even in hierarchy, higher. I have a hard time saying that word, hierarchical uh, institutions of bishops and those with authority and that kind of thing. You know, we give authority to a certain person who's called to a certain thing. Um, but I think also this understanding, the church have always had this understanding of that is the people and the voting, like even the canon of scripture that we have was voted on. Yeah, it was voted by bishops, but there's a group that comes together to make the choices and vote to see, you know, what we what we consider canon or the true story of, of gospel and Jesus. So there's always more than just one person even when the pope sits on the the seat of authority is very rare and it's not without in conversation with what's going on in the entire church and the cardinals that are around them so this idea of, right. of people coming together and setting people apart for specific purposes has been a long tradition of um of of the church yeah all right it's interesting to me because and so i i was um approached by an AOG church to um, see if I was interested in throwing my hat in for consideration um, to interview to be um, a pastor there because they were moving the pastor out of that church and into a different church in um, the Midwest. And I just... I don't because because in my in my context every single role that I've been in pastorally is so intrinsically tied to the group like to the to the flock that I'm that I'm caring for I just how do you I, I that that would be that would be my question right like how do you how do you assess that like move from one from one group to another, but like in in that kind of way, like I don't, I don't know. Uh, it it's it would, I would probably think of it differently if I was part of a denomination and all of that kind of stuff. But I think that's part of why it's so important to have strong bylaws and to get into all of the nitty gritty of the boring stuff the the constitutions the bylaws all of that kind of stuff um because it you know you you in in the 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 church planning world obviously the idea is like will's church is very long in the tooth right you guys have been an institution in chapel hill for a long time um and so obviously the church existed before you and the idea is that the church will exist after you, and that's the hope when you plan a church. Is that yeah, you may be, you may have been the one of the founding pastors or a pastor along the way, but there's not there. There's this idea that you want to build it so that way there's longevity past you. You know. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. What's interesting is some some of this carries into podcasting world too. Um, so for those of you who know, we've, we've done a few different podcasts and the whole church doesn't have anything like this at all. You know, we started this and it kind of was just, I needed to do some kind of ministry. So I started doing some kind of ministry and then it became, you know, the Josh and TJ show more or less, but it's about church. Um, but then when we started systematic ecology, I started it with the intent that I might not do this forever, but I think it should exist whether I do it or not. So it has a lot more, you know, bylaws, procedures, all that kind of stuff attached to it, even though it's more of a or fun entertainment show than this one is. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, that's because this one is TJ, my ministry. That one, the other one is a 
bridge between fandoms and the faith and something that I think legitimately just needs to exist. So we set it up to exist with or without any of us. Yeah. Um, and, and, and going back a little bit of the history, like we're a 77 year old congregation and, you know, 77 years ago, a group of people said, Hey, we're near the university. Why don't we gather some Lutheran students together and have a Bible study? And it just started like that. And, and then, yeah. and then eventually it grows. And then they think about, well, who do we want to be on campus and where we're going to represent who will be a part of, and then a church and a community and a congregation builds around that. And then eventually as the years go on, yeah, history changes the context, um, may change a little bit, but, but where we are in our position and our mission of being a Lutheran, uh, having a Lutheran identity, but also close to a university that kind of is particular to our context. We're part of a larger church, but we also do church this way. So yeah, constitutions and bylaws and core values and mission statements evolve and grow and, and are tweaked along the way so that it will outlive the person who came before you and has a larger vision to move forward in, in the world. And I think, yeah, I think that's the canon of scriptures like that, the, how we do, you know, all that is to it outlive the council of the Nicene Creed outlive the council of Nicaea, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, but they set some things out to, to move you. forward. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one more quick note before TJ jumps into the meat of this episode. I, uh, I'm told that I don't often enough bring up my own resume. So uh, since you mentioned AOG, I actually was uh, part of the AOG for a while. And uh, one what does AOG mean? For, what is uh, Assemblies AOG? of God. So okay. Assemblies of God, yeah. So three or four years, I forget, I think it was three years, I was part of the Assemblies of God. And I actually went from church to start church, starting up uh, children's ministries. So I was like a children's church planner kind of deal within churches. It was kind of fun. It was a fun gig. I had a lot of good times. No. Yeah. Yeah, just fun fact. Yeah. That's all. No, that was before Josh's dark age. Yes. Yeah. That was when before the end game, and now we're in like phase four, and everyone's like, "What are you doing, dude?" <laughs> yeah. There's no continuity. So I—that's more true than you think. So I am going to ask everyone how your church handles five different areas of polity. Um, if you need to take a nap, ring the bell, and we'll get back to you. Uh, you are each going to tell me how your church handles it and how you wish it would handle it if there's something you'd want to change. So, who's ready? Hopefully, Will. Um, how does your yeah, church handle questions of where funds will be sent or used? Uh, our church council uh, uh, is the ultimate decider of that, but of course, that they listen to um, ministry teams and committees within the church, and they uh, lobby, I guess, is a, is a bad word to use, but like lobby where we think uh, certain ministry teams should have the money and then where it should be sent to. Uh, so people give their their offerings to the church, and then we use that as a congregation to do the ministry we're called to do. So so yeah, church, church council. And then our connected to the Senate, we send some to the Senate as well, um, the North Carolina Senate, and then they use that money in the same way. They have their own governing body, church, uh, Senate council that, that decides where that goes and if i could do it different i don't know how else to do it differently other than right you know we have the money that we have we don't have the money we don't have and then you know the church comes together and decides how they want to spend it in different committees and church council and congregational meetings we just had our congregational meeting annual congregation meeting this past sunday and we passed a budget for 2024 you know and a lot of work led up to present that to the congregation some people asked a few questions of why this why that and then those were answered and then we voted approved and we have a a ministry plan and budget for 2024. Pretty sweet. Uh, Joe, how does your church handle questions of funding? 
So um, the uh, one of the pastors on the team is uh, essentially the um, executive pastor, more or less. Um, he's the guy that handles um, like budgetary things, different things like that. Um, when there's a matter of addressing um, the budget, the plan, all of that kind of stuff, uh, we'll do what we call a family meeting. Um, we do it a little bit differently than a lot uh, th than some churches. It's not so much of a membership specific meeting. There are some people there that are members. However, we say that if you call the church your home, and this is the place that you choose to uh, worship then please show up um, because not everybody um, is comfortable with associating the title of member, even though they're longtime attenders, they care deeply about the church, all of those kinds of things. And so um, bring it forward. Generally, um, Jer will be the guy that will answer those questions, but it is kind of a uh, roundtable environment among the entire pastoral team. Um and then uh, it gets it gets voted upon, kind of like what Will was saying, um, you know, uh, open it up for dialogue, and then afterwards voted upon, and and that that becomes it. I like the idea of family meeting. You know, at church yeah. council sounds so formal, blah blah blah. But yet we're family; we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm. But yeah, not all family meetings family meetings go super smooth. If you have uh, some important things to discuss and you have different opinions, sure. so yeah. you know, yeah. families can be dysfunctional. Families can have toxicity. Families can do this, but yeah, it's basically yeah, we're a family coming together, making uh, decisions that affect the entire family, even those who aren't in the actual meeting itself. So yeah, that's I think so that's real. Like, yeah. Real quick on that uh, on that note, um, everybody on on this roundtable will will appreciate how how um, ironic all of this is, and for all for all of you guys who have heard me before, you hopefully will will appreciate the irony in in all of this. Um, I I linked arms with these guys like two months before they entered into the process of buying a new uh, church property and preparing the new church property and all of that, which launched um, at the end of the summer. So I have, I've officially walked a Sunday morning model through um, starting uh, a new, a new location and all of that kind of stuff. So I know, I know firsthand that some of those family meetings centered around major church changing situations can get weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. That was a, Real that was exciting. a fascinating experience launching a new, launching a new location for that. And me being me with all of my temperaments and all of my mindsets and my opinions and all of that kind of stuff to be a part of that process was, was wild to say the least. Yeah. We can only imagine. Uh, so, Josh, how does your church is, uh, handle where funds get sent or used? Whatever Will said will also be true of where I'm going. <laughs> Sweet. You just copy-paste for all my answers. It's fine. Sweet. Yeah. You don't want to answer the, answer the Pentecostal part? I mean, then, yeah. Um, I, I think it basically it's, it's weird. My understanding is... It's the state for each 
part of the COGOP, like the state overseer, the state of South Carolina, Church of God of Prophecy has its own funds and they can choose to do a church plant or someone else could do a plant and basically apply for that to be a Church of God of Prophecy church. Yeah. Um, and, and as far as like the funding go, like the churches themselves handle all of it, except for I think each church sends 10% to the state more or less. Yeah, that's pretty much And right. I don't know what the state does with it, but I do know they save a lot of money and they have a um, decent savings account. I don't know how much. Yeah, allegedly. But I know that they, uh, they're they conservative in how they spend. I know that. Yeah. yeah. So we, we have a, a biannual meeting that is every other year, not twice a year. Is that the right phrase? Yeah. Who cares? It is now. I say it is. <laughs> uh, there's a meeting every other year for the entire state uh, to discuss things like budget, um, Usually me and the coolest dude I could find in the room skip the budget meeting. Uh, last time we went to see Toy Story 3, 4. Last time we went to see Toy Story 4. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the churches do report to the state. Uh, within each church, it's handled a little differently. Uh, at mine, it's just more or less the oldest members, long as tenured, not literally oldest, mostly. Uh, just kind of get a say in how the church spends its money and they vote on what they think is best. Yeah. My parents' church have like a associate pastor who comes up with a plan and then they vote on it quarterly, four times yeah. a year. Yeah. So, Will, how do questions of how to upkeep and use facilities, how are those handled within your church? Yeah, we have a facility use policy that guides our church council in making decisions whether we allow an outside group to use our building and how to use our building within within the church. And so the basically the policy kind of helps us govern and think through if a non-for-profit or for-profit organization wants to use our building, it does is it in line with our core values and mission as a congregation? And if we feel like it is, then then we say, Yep, cool. We vote as church council, yep, they can use it. Like for instance, we have a women's course that uses our building on Monday nights and they have, they're like a 70 person strong choir and they do community service and they practice here and they go out and do concerts. And we're like, yep, you can use it. We've had other people come want to use our building for like a cooking class, uh, for profit cooking class. And even though we have the facilities for it, we're like, you know, um, it, we're glad that you're teaching a class, but what you're doing and teaching isn't like necessarily ministry or, or for or against what we, you know, our core values, but we think, no, you probably should use a commercial kitchen or something else other than just our church. Uh, now, if it was someone inside the church who was going to use it as a ministry or an extension of what they're doing in the world, then, then yeah. But so, so yeah, we have a facility use policy, about 10 pages that hopefully checks all the boxes and and allows people to see how to open up the building, close the building. And then um, the church council, it goes before church council each month if there's a request um, to see whether um, someone within or outside the church uses our building, how it's used. Cool. cool. Uh, Joe, how about you guys? Uh, do you have a, an upkeep facilities upkeep policy or? Um, so we have, um, there's a, a ministry within the church of folks that uh, volunteer to upkeep the facilities, we ever since starting the new the new um, the new location, it that's really when it kind of became more of um, there became more of an opportunity to be able to utilize more space and like for allow for the space to be more dynamic. So it's actually something that we are um, currently thinking through on on how we can go about um best 
uh, allowing the space to not just sit on throughout throughout the week and all of that and be able to offer it up to folks who would be engaging in ministry and different things like that right now any um questions of of could this be used or anything like that right now go through the pastoral team and we discuss it and kind of evaluate it like kind of like what will was saying evaluate it against like mission vision values all of those kinds of things um but there's certainly not a what did you say will 10 page document that's got to be a riveting piece of literature um I'll tell you, man, you, you want to fall asleep at night. We got some good documents and policies around here. You can read before you go to bed. Yeah. 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 That's good so, stuff. Funny enough. Uh, my church specifically also has like the 10 page document on this is how we should treat what? the church. Yeah. It's wild. Interesting. Well, there you go. My, uh, the, my, I'm going to keep answering for my parents church. Cause I, I attended there for a long time. So I know a lot about it. They, they didn't have that kind of thing. They had, um, as far as like upkeep goes, they had some volunteers and then they actually would hire some people from the community or within the church that they knew needed work. So like they, they have a guy who does like all the lawn stuff who couldn't otherwise find work. So they pay him to do all their lawn stuff, you know. Um, but as like as far as like use goes, you basically the associate pastor and senior pastor text each other. And if they both think it's cool, that that's it. That's the story. <laughs> you know, yeah, they've let me do parties there before. They've let me use tables for uh our friends giving and they're just kind of like, yeah, but Hey, do we need an extra table? No, we only need three this week. Cool. Yeah. Josh can use the table. And that's it. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there's some flexibility with us too. I think like the, the church and constant um, church council and, and the membership, you know, trust me that if like there, someone calls me on a Thursday and say, Hey, we need to use a room for blah, 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 blah. Can we like absolutely come and use our building for what you need? But if it was an outside group that's for profit or not for profit for an yeah, ongoing yeah, use yeah. throughout the year, then we vote on whether that, but in terms of a member will call me and say, Hey, I need, I need a stack of chairs. Cause we're doing a party this weekend. I'm like, sure. Just bring them back, you know, before Sunday or something. So yeah. there's, there's some of that, that stuff that that's going on. Yeah. Everyone's, Real, real chill about the building. Uh, mm-hmm. So, questions of doctrine and theology, uh, briefly, if possible. Will, <laughs> how how does the Lutheran DLCA handle questions of doctrine and theology? Yeah, we're already a part and linked in with doctrines and um, theology in terms of uh, scriptures, uh, the scripture Bible, uh, Lutheran confessions, and the. Uh, the creeds. And so that's kind of the binding, uh, governing theological principles and, and doctrine that, that we're bound to. Of course, there's uh, freedom and a little bit of flexibility in terms of interpretation of what, what those passages are and how you read that, interpret that, and how you live that out in the world. But those are the binding theological documents that or dogma that, that governs who we are, and that's in our Constitution. And so uh, we say in our Constitution, our beliefs, Scripture, Lutheran Confessions, mm-hmm. the, the universal creeds of Nicene, Athanasian, and, and Apostles' Creed, you know, and then, um, and everything else that is interpreted. So we're that, we're bound by, by that, which also bound by the Synod and also the ELCA. If they, if they, we were going to change a, a doctrine, if our church said, um, yep, we no longer think the gospel of Luke should be a part of scripture and we're going to take it wow. out, you know, the, our, um, take. <laughs> yeah, like, like the week before Christmas, we're like, yeah, we don't like, we don't like shepherds. We're getting out of here. Uh, then, then I probably what would happen is our Bishop would say, um, like, Oh wait, I, I got word of this. And, uh, the, the, 
the Senate council would get involved in discipline or whatever. And they would ask then why are you still Lutheran? Then why are you still connected with this? Shouldn't you be something else and join somebody else or be independent? And then you go through that process of, uh, dis, uh, dismembership of, um, of, of being a part of a denomination. But so there, there's governance for us as a local church, Synod, ELCA, pan Lutheran across the world. But, but yeah, if we wanted to change something, it would go through the, the yeah. steps and then eventually how, to ask them why you're Lutheran. <laughs> why are you still part of it? How specific is any of that? Like, is, is there anything that's like, you have to interpret Psalm 26, literally, <laughs> like, you know, like, uh, do they have like a, this is how you should interpret this? Or is it a little less specific than that? It's less specific than that. But now there's, okay. there's social issues and things like, you know, ordination of men and women or um, same-sex marriage, uh, um, th- those kinds of things that have gone down the line over the last 20 years that have, you know, open for interpretation debate within the church that, you know, the bylaws of, of visions and expectations of how pastors and churches are to do and lead the sacraments and the rights of the church that that in terms of social issues sexuality gender those things have been the hot buttons over the last 20 years where there have been breaks within the denomination to say nope we don't believe what the elca is saying about this in terms of a social statement so we're going to form our own denomination or go independent and so those, those are the things that have been breakaways or discipline on uh in the over the I can't, last 20 years or so or, or more. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a process within that. And then, of course, you know, if a Lutheran church in the Senate was like, we interpret this passage to be this. And, you know, you're you kind of um, peer review. You're under peer review of other Lutheran uh, congregations within your synod and within the whole ELCA, whether you're an outsider, whether you're insider, whether that's mainstream or not, um, or you're either being cutting edge or edgy just to be cutting edge and edgy. Um, but. But yeah, Joe, you had a, a question around that. Uh, I don't know if, if I necessarily had a question. I was more just um, uh, mulling through what you had said, and I think that's interesting. What what the denomination would choose to be, I guess, hardlined for lack of a better phrase, mm-hmm. on as far as uh, being on a being on a united front. I mean, it's not like shocking. Like I'm not stunned or anything like that. But just I think it's interesting when you when you consider what all is available to like be closed handed on mm-hmm. that just that that to to me seems like interesting lines to draw. Yeah, I mean, the the big, uh, yeah, to talk about a, a short answer on doctrine and theology, but, you know, in terms of who we understand Jesus to be, who we understand God to be as 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the creeds. But, yeah, you get nuanced with Job or the psalm, and we interpret this way, or we're going to say, oh, this changes how we see people or ministry. I mean, th- those are kind of loose interpretation within the congregation itself and context. And, and yeah, there's more conservative ELCA Lutheran churches and how they vote politically, socially in Hickory, North Carolina, upstate, rather than um, over and against say who we are in terms of a university town next to a liberal university. Right. So um, there's some wiggle room in there. So they were like, oh, we think you're heretics when it comes to that. But then it was like, well, we still confess the Apostles' Creed together. We still understand and believe in the canon of scripture. Yeah, we still, we, uh, we do like shepherds and Christmas. So we're going to celebrate this go around. So there's some stuff with that. But in terms of who you you vote for or social policy or whether black lives matter or not, or whether, uh, you know, homosexuality, or whatever, all those things get, get, um, you know, nuanced when you get in the congregation, different parts of the state, but, but yeah, 
yeah, we're, we're government. We have in our constitution what we believe. And if we wanted to change that, then I think there would be discipline within the Senate and the ELSA that'd be like, then why are you still Lutheran or part of a denomination? But if it's nothing that, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm honestly curious because yeah, like yeah. for so for so long i i just threw stones and didn't ask questions so now that i've like i don't know grown up a little bit i'm, <laughs> I'm just fascinated sure. um so so if it's not anything that would directly can conflict with like i'll call them lutheran values not even necessarily not necessarily like christian values but lutheran specific values Mm-hmm. Would you still have to go up the the pecking order, so to speak, to make those alterations in changes? If you like, if there was something within the 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 bylaws, I can't necessarily point to a yeah. specific example of what this would look like. But I'm saying, like, if the if it's not anything that would necessarily ruffle the feathers of the powers that be, is that still something that you've got to run up the flagpole, or is that handled yeah. handled locally? It's handled locally in the congregation. You know, I, if I gave a stewardship sermon and, you know, I have a certain hot take on uh, how we should give or not give in the church, the bishop's not like looking over my shoulder or thing. But if I started preaching like um, prosperity gospel, that if you give to this congregation, then God's going to bless us. And, it, you, know, you know, God's going to smite you. Or if I, a, a non-grace filled understanding of how to do stewardship in the congregation and it got wind and went viral on YouTube, then my bishop might say, hey, Will, let's have a conversation. What's going on over there? You know, um, but in terms of um, minor things of how we do ministry, there's there's some freedom there and flexibility to be able to express the gospel in our present day context under um, what we believe in terms of the Bible, who God is, the creeds, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime they bring up light beer, a little red light goes off in the, in the <laughs> office. Yeah. And then there, there's a wide tap. Germany, there's sorry. a lot of taps. And, you know, even though there's some that might as well just be water, um, we say like, you know, um, to each their own. Yeah. That's gl- glad to hear. Josh, do you feel like doing the Pentecostal doctrine and theology? Um, I feel like they are actually pretty strict about that. They're just not very tech savvy. So they don't know how to check if you're listening, nope. if you're teaching what they want you to teach. But <laughs> they are pretty specific. I actually have a five book set of um, that includes exactly how I'm supposed to interpret the Bible, what version of the Bible they like the most or, you know, disfavor, which they don't tell you you have to use a certain version, but they're like, yeah, we really disfavor this version. Um, That's intense. A history of their church, a history of the capital C church. Um, I'm trying to think what the fifth one was. But yeah, yeah. they got like a whole book set that you have to take tests on before you can be ordained. And you, they, you have to be ordained through your local church. Uh, then you have to meet like a local council of pastors from various different local churches who kind of come together and interview slash interrogate slash quiz you to see whether or not they think you're uh, up to muster more or less. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny to me, the misconceptions that circle around this thing, because you would think (laughs) when you hear Lutheran and you hear high church and all of those kinds of things, 
like strike that reverse it like mm-hmm. that yeah. that josh's answer should absolutely be will's answer that yeah. like there's that all of these strict <laughs> guidelines and all that kind of stuff it's that's so fascinating you wouldn't yeah. think because of all of the the things that you hear about pentecostals and all of that kind of stuff like oh they don't care they don't they're not that strict yeah it's uh yeah it's, we do care it's we questionable just like to, we like to yell and dance during church yeah. so. <laughs> It's questionable whether or not you can be a Pentecostal preacher and disagree about uh, speaking of tongues being the evidence of being in the Holy Spirit. You might be able to disagree about that, maybe. But uh, if you straight up say some stuff like uh, not everyone can speak in tongues or anything like that, uh, you can get in trouble. And if you know the LGBT stuff or a lot of the stuff that uh, will listen off that they're like, you can be really conservative or really liberal. That's that's not a thing. You can't do that. You get too progressive there. You're. They might let you keep the building. They're not going to let you stay Koga. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So uh, they've gotten a lot less strict. Women can wear pants um, and jewelry. I'm allowed to have a wedding band. I remember I was alive when they allowed wedding bands, and uh, so many people were so excited. Yeah. It's crazy. Pretty pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I never cease to be modernizing at an incredible, incredible rate. Yeah. Uh, so how do y'all's churches handle questions of groups, businesses, other churches that you can work with? And I feel like it's just voting, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say it's similar to like our buildings use, like we, who are working with or partner with, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think there's some freedom there too. Like if, if, um, it doesn't have to go by church council vote, if I wanted to work with St. Paul, Amy, Zion Church down the road. Uh, we enter conversation and things. I mean, uh, working with, partnering with, I think is, you know, part of our discernment, my discernment, ministry team discernment. Now, if we were going to do a joint project and have our name on the same side of a building or something with a church that's way different than us or the Mormon church or whatever, I don't know. We'd I guess we'd have to think through like what are, what are we who we working with, but the same way would be like if we're working with a civic group or a non-religious group or atheist group. I don't know. That's a good question, but it's similar to the building use. Like we, does it match up with our core value? Do we feel like this is beneficial or um, represent the gospel? Can we still be ourselves um, and still be in partnership with this other organization or group or denomination? There's some conversation goes around with that on, on the micro and my macro level. I think there's conversations around, does that, does it match up with us that we want to partner and spend time doing this? But there's not necessarily big like micromanaging with who do ministry with. And I don't think our Senate or ELCA does as well. Now, you know, there's a big stink back in 9-11 when the Missouri Senate Church was at a, um, a multi-faith or uh, not just multi-denominational, multi-faith prayer service up in New York. And that particular Missouri Synod Lutheran Church pastor, which tends that denomination tends to be more conservative was called out and um you know there's a big stink about why are you why are you partnering up with people who aren't christian at a prayer service and you're like whoa wow you know it doesn't mean he's confessing that jesus isn't lord by standing beside people who are a different religion than you but missouri Synod got a um got really uptight about that. And so um, it's different from the ELCA, but but there's some things out there that occurs that question should we partner or not when it comes to that stuff. So yeah I think for us, um, you can you can give a very similar answer to um, the last the last three, including this one. So like facilities, 
doctrine theology and what groups you or businesses where for for the self-governed independent um church it is you're part of part of why the structure doesn't always um hold up is because there isn't anybody outside of the church looking in and so it's it's requisite on you to build a strong enough foundation that can hold within the paradigm of your own organization and that's why it is so important to have a strong set of values yes um personally as 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 pastors as leaders all of those kinds of things but actual written out value statements of the church that you can fall back on when you're like okay what about so like with the doctrine theology a lot of that stuff can be found in our in 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 what's written and all of that but then it kind of goes to leadership right directly uh afterwards and 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 all of that um this business one is kind of funny because i'm the squeaky wheel on our pastoral team, as far as this goes, who shocked? Um, because, <laughs> because I, I just, I think a lot of smaller churches would do well to separate out their operating budget from the tithe. I know that's a whole other conversation and all that kind of stuff, so I won't get super into it. But, but working with different businesses, different organizations, even if they're not explicitly Christian, could be beneficial for a church and still align with mission vision and all and all of that kind of stuff to help generate money for the church that can be used for ministry outreach community all of those kinds of things and you can piggyback off of for-profit businesses that have deeper pockets than most churches do most most of the time depending um and and be able to piggyback off of that to be able to generate more of an impact in your community or what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the next roundtable topic is brought to you by Joe. Um, <laughs> no, I really I like the uh, the tithing topic because we need to do should people tithe, should pastors tithe, should churches tithe, and what do we do with the tithes? Yeah, fun stuff. Um, TJ, if you were going to ask me the same question, I actually did want to bring up a. Uh, even though they're really strict within the denomination, church got a prophecy in my experience, you know, as like hard lines, you kind of got to believe certain ways. They are pretty loose when it comes to like who you work with and how you plan all that out. I know um, in Charleston, when I lived in Somerville, they had a, um, a, a group that was actually started from one of the pastors at our church that worked with Catholic churches there, Anglican churches, all kinds of stuff. And um, yeah, I was really impressed by that, that even though they have a pretty rigid, here's what we believe structure, they still had a pretty loose how do we work with capital C church structure? And I really like that about that nomination. Yeah. yeah, it's it's one of the nice things. They can believe what they want, but yeah. we believe this, only this. <laughs> yeah, y'all can believe uh, what you want. We're just going to disagree with you nicely, yeah. but you know, we're going to disagree with you. <laughs> right. yeah. So how does the ELCA handle membership and exclusion, excommunication perhaps? Yeah. Um, so I think theologically – doctrine, um, spiritual level, you're a member of the church, capital C, when you're baptized, uh, 
into Christ. And so that's, that's where we say membership. But in terms of membership of Holy Trinity, um, we have a process that we have a, a new member class that people go through. And then when they're done, uh, they decide they want to join the church and they got up in front of the church and they confess the creed and and say that we want to be part of this church and we agree with uh, what Holy Trinity does and its mission statement and its constitution. Um, then then they just they just join the church and we put them on our, our roles. Now, our church council will approve that um, that list, not as a means by saying we approve of their salvation or not, but say, yes, we accept you and vote and say you're an official member of this church so that if something happened, we need to expel or take someone off the roster because they are breaking a boundary or creating dissent or not a healthy person in our community of faith. And, and um, then we could say, yeah, um, we vote you to no longer be a voting member of the church. Because once you're a member, you get to vote on uh, things like the budget and who the next pastor is going to be and uh, staff people coming on board or how to use the building. So you have voting rights as a member. And if there's a particular person who is unhealthy or or just um, – you know, not in line with the mission value of the church, then the church council has the authority to say you're no longer a part of this community of faith. We're not we're not saying you're no longer a Christian or Jesus doesn't love you or that you won't go to heaven one day, but to be a part of this community of faith, um, you have to abide by these um, standards. So that's who we are. And that's self-governed as our congregation. The bishop couldn't come in and say, you need to take this person off your roster. Oh, sorry. Light went off. Um, the, 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 um, the bishop couldn't come in and say, oh, well, I don't like what that person in your congregation said on my Facebook uh, chat. And so we're going to get them, kick them out. We're going to be like, no, sorry. They're a part of our community. That's part of our, 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 our governance. So cool. It's very rare. There's excommunication, but that that's built in in a sense that, yeah, um, I, I've have, I've had pastor friends of mine who have used that as to withhold the sacraments from someone until they uh, repented of something or got, or maybe they were abusing a wife or a family member or something. And they were like, no, you, we will not commune you until you repent of your, um, your actions or change your actions or get help or whatever. That to me is, is a very big gray area. I don't know if I, I could do that in terms of withholding the sacrament from people. And that that's what basically excommunication is. You're withholding membership in the sacraments from, from people, or at least the long tradition of, of uh, the Catholic Orthodox Church, from what I understand. I could be wrong. but um, So there, there have been pastor friends of mine who have exercised that authority, church council have, um, as a means to repentance. Whether that's a good tool or not is up for debate. Um, so yeah, if there was someone in our congregation who was really being disruptive and would not, not, um, abiding by the boundaries that we set forth on healthy relationships, then we'd have to take it this, like what we read at the beginning of this passage, Matthew, go to that person first, then bring someone else to talk to, and then you take it to the governing council, um, as, as a whole of the congregation. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I feel as though it should be said that this is probably different than someone actively harassing members of the church or something like that. In which case it might not be excommunication, but you might still get like a civil lawsuit or something or restraining yeah. order against somebody like that's mm -hmm. different than what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. I, would, yeah. I think yep. that that's a different topic, right? Okay. Oh yeah, cool. for sure. For sure. Um, yeah. So, so unfortunately um, there's, there is a little bit of, of rawness um to this particular topic for for me and for the the church that i um that i'm at uh 
as as far as as far as the membership side, um, I kind of addressed that before when we had talked about the the um, the family meeting and voting and all of that kind of stuff. Um, there is a membership process. There's a like just a, a short document. You fill it out. You you uh, and then you meet with the pastors, and and all of that. It's not that. It's not a a there. There is not a huge like a highly organized structure to the membership side because um, the thesis statement for us is um, that family dynamic, that community dynamic and all of that kind of stuff. And so that's why there is this idea of if you, if you call the Grove your home church, then Hmm. you you've you you know you engage with this process and and all of that kind of stuff um it, it also for us is is part of it's kind of built into the area that we're from um this is a the, the, this is an area that's very highly dominated by um roman catholicism and um bu- buffet churches that are just kind of churn and burn uh, members and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and so a lot of folks in this area have a history of church hurt that's, that's very, very prevalent in this area. And so if we were to put hardline membership requirements, labels, so on and so forth, like you may find at a, as, as standard practice, in some churches that would be a stumbling block for for some folks and be and all of that kind of stuff um you don't membership does not afford you anything special at the grove subsequently because of that you don't get like uh, anything like that um as far as um as far as excommunication or anything like that um it is it is 110 percent rooted in matthew um it it is the if if somebody is creating division we approach them have a conversation in the spirit of restoration in the spirit of restoring them to the body not like the 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 idea is that you give every affordance to try and restore that individual until they have elected to actively disengage and actively reject those advances and all of those kinds of things um and then if the person will not take steps to make the situation right and be able to take the steps to engage in healthy behavior for themselves and for the body, then the, the, the unfortunate decision has to be made to say, you know, look, this might not be the right spot for you to worship right. in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll yeah. say there's a greeting that, yeah, like Joe and I are alluding to is it's not something that's taken lightly. It's something we grieve. Uh, it's something we take it important. You know, it's, and it's yeah. for the overall well being of the community and the person. It's not like, oh, we're Lord and judging you and kicking you out because we don't like the clothes you wear. It's like, man, there's some deep stuff that, that's going on here. And I will also share that our church right. practices an open table and participation within the life of the community of faith. So anybody who shows up on a Sunday does not have to be a member to have communion. 
doesn't have to be a member to participate in Bible study or the Christmas play that we're having on Sunday, all those things. The only thing that afford membership that um, kind of, um, you know, benefits, you would say, is a deeper um, part of the decision-making process of the congregation. So uh, the, I'll do a new member class in January, and everyone that's a part of that has probably been active in our church, um, worshiping and participating in different ministries for, for a few months or if not a whole season. Mm -hmm. But what I'm inviting them into is to say, hey, being an official member here, during our congregational meeting or for making pro, um, decisions about the budget, about our next pastor, about, you know, what we do in the community, you, you are, have a voting, vo have a voice and vote um, with that decision-making process. Yeah. The, uh, the membership where I got my, which is funny, I actually, I'm still technically a member because I haven't changed my membership to Lutheran church yet because I'm lazy. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest with you guys. But uh, it went, I had to, you had some documents, you had to read and kind of understand what the church believes as far as like how to read the Bible, what they think about the Bible, what they th believe about the um, Trinity, um, and what they believe about the gifts of the Spirit, you know, not just speaking in tongues, but healing, prophecy, all of that kind of stuff. You would read that, the past, you would sign something that kind of says, I agree to uphold these beliefs. The pastor would take you up front if they affirm you. Um, in front of the congregation and an active member could say, you know, I want this person to be a member. I forget what, exactly the wording, but one person would kind of propose to make you a member and then somebody else would second it. And then they would do every, the whole congregation can I or no. Everybody has the option to say no for some reason. We've yeah. never heard it, but, you know, the whole congregation, yeah, we don't want that guy. I guess you wouldn't be a member. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, I've never heard that. So that's kind of yeah. what the membership process is like. I have no idea what it's like to uh, to remove. I've never seen it done. In, Oh yeah, I haven't either. But, you know, we, we that's why church council, you know, is, is very rare. But, yeah, I mean, I think each church in the Lutheran church has their own way of accepting new members where they make them go through a two-month catechism or whether I do just three classes. Mm -hmm. I do a class where we get to know one another. So who are you? And then I we do a, um, you know, who what we believe class and talk about the Bible and basic Lutheran beliefs. And then the third class is who is Holy Trinity and kind of our history and what we're about. And after that class, that they're like, hey, we, we want to go deeper in this congregation and be a, an official member, then yeah. And then some of those membership numbers are really yeah. just kind of people flexing numbers and how many people you have. And sometimes you can also get oh, a yeah. contest yeah. of who has the most members, That's numbers game. That's the toxic thing that is, happens. Yeah, not, yeah, not cool. denomination for pastors are kind of, yep. yeah, no, anyway. Exactly. That's a different topic as well. Um, yeah, but as far as what, what it does, I, th I think membership is basically the same. as like Will's. You get a little bit more say in some decisions. I get put on an email list. So I know everything that church does, even though I no longer attend. <laughs> no. Yeah. You get access no. to the secret, to the sacred yeah. email list. Yeah. And you also agree to pay your Which time. is actually helpful because usually I don't know what's going on with the weather until I get a text from church. Got a prophecy in Rock Hill. that says, Hey, we're closed due to icing later. I'm like, Oh, it's kind of ice. Well, cool. Well, there yeah. you go. Yeah. My church actually has a, a very few members because our membership kind of test is beating me in a ping pong game. So, <laughs> There are no members. It's my fault. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's up to the church, really. Uh, so one thing, you know, we like to do here is our roundtable roundup. I'm going to read out four questions. Everyone will know what they are. One at a time, I'm going to pick you. You answer one of the questions. You must repeat the question you're answering. And 
uh, no one can respond or ask any follow-ups until after the roundup is over. So uh, you can answer the same question as someone else if you want, because we didn't say you can't, but it would be cooler if you didn't. So I'm just going to read them all, and I'm going to start calling on people. How can churches evaluate themselves to see where they might need to guard themselves better? How might our views on big C and little c church polity differ? Uh, how can self-governing churches hold themselves accountable if they have no tradition or authority to answer to? And how should our church polity be responsible to our greater culture's polity? Uh, should churches handle their own issues, report failures to authorities outside the church, completely avoid our nation's politics and legal systems altogether, etc. Things like that. Yeah. So, um, Joe, wh- which question would you like to answer? Um... I feel like there's one that it makes sense for me to answer, but one that I would like to answer. So I'm going to go with the one that I would like to answer and say, how might our views on Big C and Little C Church polity differ? Um, I, I think that by and large, even with there being room for different layers or different um, titles or what have you, that one kind of flows as an extension of the other because we've been given this modus operandi for how to um, handle relationships with one another in the in the large sense. We've been given. Um, the the mode of being in order to be fully functioning citizens of the kingdom of God. And so essentially what you're doing is taking organizational standards that are based on those standards for how to be a fully functioning citizen of the kingdom of God and applying them in a way that allows for your small subsect of the larger church to be able to operate well and to be able to operate efficiently and different things like that. And even for the things that are a little bit more circumstantial, a little bit more situational, you can still derive values for handling those things from the teachings of Jesus. And I think part of where like to go back to something that will and i both were kind of tap dancing around that um there's there's a significant weight to handling some of these topics and you know that that these things that we do good good bad and indifferent um they 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 are a holy responsibility and all of that being a part of the pastoral team we part part of where that goes awry and we see that not really done well i think is when we start to deviate from those teachings of jesus those church principles in the large scale sense um for in favor of how we think it should be done our own self-interests different things like that so I, I really think one should just be a reflection and extension of the other. All right. Uh, Will. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take um, how can self-governing churches hold themselves accountable if they have no tradition or authority to answer to? Because I would say 
that question is wrong because every community has a tradition and an authority to answer to no matter who you are whether you're a mission plant or two weeks old or eight a hundred years old you have some embedded tradition or authority within you whether it's scripture whether it's uh, people you're gathering with everyone brings to the table a certain amount of tradition so i think you know how can they hold themselves accountable well yeah i think i think every body every group of people or body of people organization or community um, has within it some sort of peer review whether it's a large scientific peer review on how physics work or whether it's the canon of scripture or how you divide how we got to the nicene or apostles creed there there's a peer review process and that happens within within groups as well so whether they're a small mission uh, church or houseplant church or, or, or where their church been downtown for 200 years, they all have a tradition. So, um, and, and they will be held accountable um, whether they're just autonomous unto themselves or not. Well answered. Bravo. From the independent church, bravo. Josh, are you going to answer a question for us? Well, unsurprisingly to everyone, I'm going to do that last one. Uh, how should our church polity be responsible to our greater culture's polity? Um... <laughs> Uh, I think fully. I I think actually I'm disgusted and appalled by how many churches attempt to not be transparent, to withhold information. You know, I I know a church who has someone on their youth staff who was not technically convicted of stuff with a minor. And it's like, um, not technically convicted isn't good enough unless you're telling every single mom and dad that comes in, hey, this guy was tried. Here's the case. You know, like that's not okay. Um, the sexual assault and stuff that kind of gets wrapped up and we want to hold it from the government and hand it within ourselves. No, no, you report every single thing that's happened. Um, I even think churches should pay taxes personally, but you know, that's just me. I think our mission isn't to be outside of the culture, lording over it because we're holier than thou and that we're better than you. So we can handle these things better. I think our mission is to be light within the culture, figure out how to work with the government and do the best that we can. Um, actually the, my favorite thing my parents have ever done, I think. Um, they did a mission at a uh, detention center down in Tallahassee that they helped do a ministry there. And the first thing that they were told is, don't do this if you're not going to stick with it. They actually talked to the people who run the detention center because so many ministries come, they help for a little bit and they leave. And these kids need someone who's going to stick around. They don't need someone who's just going to leave. It's actually more harmful than just doing nothing for them at all. And I think it was really important that they took the time to talk to the state, to talk to the people who are actually doing these things and understand the concept better. Because from my perspective, if I didn't know any of that, I probably would think, yeah, it's great. I'm going to go spend time with someone who doesn't get to spend time with a lot of people. And I might not have thought of the psychological damage. And that's why I think it's important to work with the state, work with the culture, work with these companies that are doing these things who maybe understand it a little bit better than you so that when you do help, you're actually helping. And uh, also not allowing abuse and stuff to go hidden under the rug because I promise you, legally, you cannot punish it anywhere near as much as it should be punished. Let the courts do it. Yeah. Boom. All right. So does anyone have anything to add or that they would like hey, to What respond? about you? Hey, it's in the it's in the question. All the questions might not get answered. Uh, yeah, but aren't you going to answer one? Fine. Uh, So how can churches evaluate themselves to see where they might need to guard themselves better? Uh, I think, unfortunately, this is usually kind of something that has to happen in hindsight uh, because it's very difficult to be aware of a weakness until it has been exposed. Uh, One of the ways you can attempt it, though, is by kind of sitting down maybe once a quarter, once a year. You can sit down and 
review your church's polity in its entirety, which is exhausting, but sometimes necessary to make sure you're not going to get played. So I, I won't I won't looking at the time at looking at the time. I won't I won't go into it, but I would just say, TJ, I would I would challenge you to revisit your statement on you can't really see a weakness until it's already been exposed. I would I would challenge yeah. you to think through that statement. Well, that's why I said the second whether, thing. Yeah, I'm just I'm just saying. No. Yeah, I, I do see where you're coming from, though, and that's where I would deposit. Since this is the part where we're all responding after the roundup. Um, sorry, I did that for you, DJ. I apologize. But uh, yeah, my response to, to the TJ thing would be to add on the, yeah, that's why uh, it's important to know your church history so you can actually read and know the mistakes before you make them yourselves because someone else probably already made the mistake you're about to make. Yeah, Just, and that know, goes with history in general, the history of the church, yeah. history of America, my own history. How do how do we reevaluate those things? I like the idea of like undercover boss in church, like, you know, have like a plan every now and then, not as nefarious to see, but like there are people who like Christian, when he came to our, our conference and he was going to visit our church, I said, hey, you know, I, I'm not going to like introduce you to folks. I just want you to walk in and see what you see. And um, are we clear on our announcements? Was my congregation warm and welcome? mean did you know where to go what to be on your own like and afterwards i want to i want a report card on like how our church greeted you were they too weird uh and too overzealous or were they um or they they ignore you like there's a happy medium there so all all that stuff so christian you know came to me afterward and said hey this is what i experienced this was what was cool this was a little confusing to me i've never been to your church or a lutheran yeah. church with that kind of bulletin or where to go for communion like so some of those things he helped me with that so and an idea of of getting a friend to visit your church or having someone visit your church and then you know just don't tell anybody and see what their experience is and, and give you some feedback on how you how you do community together i think is is a good way to to go about that yeah and my response to, to will's answer is uh he still didn't answer the question i get what he's saying like yeah technically technically you're right but also i do think there's some issue if you're not recognizing any of these traditions and stuff as authoritative you might recognize that you have them but i still think there's if you're not recognizing any of it as authoritative uh, then you have this too much wiggle room in my opinion where maybe you still make some mistakes because you're like oh well you know that's we we recognize what luther said but we don't believe everything he said so we're going to ignore this over here we're going to ignore this over here like i feel like you can do cherry picking if you don't recognize anything which is where i think the best way to stay uh, self-aware is to have a really well written polity where you yeah. are deciding beforehand as opposed to just going along with it as it comes up so oh um let me ask you guys do you want to go down this rabbit hole do you want should i just keep my mouth shut i'm curious what the problem is um that literally any denomination anywhere anytime can do exactly what you're talking about that it's not that's not a matter of if that's not a matter of of self-governing or anything else like that because we've watched We've watched churches across denominations. I'm not even going to bother naming any out. You don't need to. That will cherry pick different aspects of things, but do so in a way that flies within their context. So, so adding the context can help. Mm -hmm. It's possible that it can provide some guidelines, but to say what what Will said is is incorrect. Coming from that world, no, like, I, 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 Josh, I got to tell you, well, the 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 high liturgical pastor hit that answer 
dead dead on 110% because oh. you can have those things you can have all of the, the you can have a, a rock solid polity in place and have all of the systems in place and i'm coming from a context that i've gotten on the guys about some of this stuff being a little loose so like i i'm i get it like i understand that there is danger that can lurk when you don't have good systems and structures and all of that kind of self, uh, stuff in place but to say that that opens the door for cherry picking is kind of picking on one specific group in in when when the the things that you're talking about are are literally prevalent everywhere yeah i think no matter what your laws are you can manipulate them you just got to know how to do it I agree with you. Uh, also, I never said Will was incorrect. I just said he didn't answer the question, which he didn't. He just got uh, around the question. Oh, I mean, that's that's what so I was saying. So, so maybe I maybe I I mis misworded what I what I had said. But as far as whether or not it was right or wrong, you're correct. I, I'm not. I didn't necessarily mean whether or but not I agree it was with right or wrong. Also. But he that's a good response. Answered the question like bang on like that's because that's that's what like as long as you're not you're like we could all hit the hit the brakes on all of this stuff and be like whoa will you're talking about all of this structure well what if this and what if that and what if this oh tj your your denomination has has all of these strict guidelines for this that and the other thing well what about this what about that like you can do all of that for literally any tradition so if you're taking it at face value and saying, well, okay, if a church is utilizing these things as a tradition well, then yeah, they might not have a denominational tradition that they answer to, but they certainly have a scriptural and biblical tradition that they answer to. So that's where I that's where I would double back and say, yes, my my verbiage was was incorrect but i can say i i like again coming from that world i i that that i think that's exactly the right answer oh yeah yeah like, no, like, right. he said i just wanted to go down that a little bit of how do you do it differently because you still have to do something you can't just say well we have a tradition we don't need anything written down or you know technically there are these other yeah. things we can pull from we don't no, need to write it down definitely. i still think you need to write stuff now i just yeah, oh, I think constitutional policies constitutional policies are, are you're, you're definitely what ifing like you're trying to anticipate the what if, what if this happens what if that i mean look at the rule book yeah. for pga Marvel golf needs to write our uh, things because they're always <laughs> anticipating what if yeah what if you know the golf ball lands in the tree and then falls in the lap and this is how many I mean, they're anticipating what if beforehand, but you can't yeah. possibly get all of them. Uh, so, so that's why you're modifying and updating your constitution stuff. But for self-governing um, churches, it, yeah, it's important. I would think it would be important to have some kind of binding legal constitution to hold yourself yeah. accountable and safe from outside, inside stuff yeah. going on. You know, so but yeah, that's all for sure. But I agree. Uh, I I feel like I have to mention. In relation to what I said earlier, most of those wacky rules in the in PGA's rulebook are only in there because it happened. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's right. And that is also true. <laughs> they didn't know they and had that. This is called a happened. full circle moment. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So with that, you guys know um, 
we always like to wrap these things up with just a practical action. Um, when we're thinking of polity, it's all practical. Everything we're doing is practical. So it's kind of hard to ask this question. I mean, it's sort of like, yeah, hey, uh, listen to the episode and uh, figure out your church's polity. But let's go more individual. If there is random person who's not named Joe, um, you know, I got to do a different random uh, Bob. If Bob's sitting in his church and he's doesn't even know what his church polity is, how does he engage better in his own church's procedures and like like all of these things talking about like the voting and all that? If Bob doesn't know, how can Bob know how to better participate in his church and in, in these kind of ways that we're talking about? Um, Will. Oh, man, that's a hard one. It's like the practical way. It's like, yeah, I am not the person who's going to grab. I don't think I've read through my entire church constitution. You know, I mean, I just when it comes up and there, I have a church council there and Robert's rules, you know, but I I think pay attention. You know, yeah, church communities are warm. They're welcoming a place of belonging. They're a place of of hearing God's word and, and equipping you to live your life of faith. Um, but But get to know your church a little better about you know yeah it's it's building policy it's constitution it's it's mission it's mission statement it's core values some of those things it's not like we're going to quiz you and your your salvation is going to be in jeopardy or in question if you don't answer the questions right but you know at least know your church's mission statement at least know kind mm-hmm. of it's um uh, the core beliefs and and some of those things. So most churches have it on their website. Most churches have a big thick mm-hmm. binder in their church office that has our constitution. You don't have to read it all, but but you know go go a little deeper uh, other than just perhaps yeah. a, a Sunday morning worship service. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. People need Sabbath and a chance to decompress from the rest of their life uh, during the week where they have to pay attention to all the details. Sometimes you don't want church to be that space. Um, but if you want to go deeper into kind of the the community life of your church and to know what makes it healthy and what's binding or not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, Joe, if everyone tells us what Will's talking about, we're like, do these research, we, we get more engaged mm-hmm. in our church in this way and everybody actually engages their church's procedures, their policies and understand what their church believes about these things. Yeah. If everyone were to do that, what do you think we would see change in our local I, churches and all around us? I think if people were to, were, were I, I think if on both sides, that folks were were willing to dig in and be and and be more interested in the goings on and all of that and that churches were welcoming to folks asking those questions and all of that kind of stuff then i think we'd see an increase in ownership within within the church like that that churches identity like this is this is my church i am i i have skin in the game here and all of that and we would see um Subsequently, I think a tighter knit community within these small C churches because everybody's coming together and feels that sense of um, belonging within within the the context of that church. Oh yeah, man! I like the word ownership. I like the word ownership and belonging. That, that's good because I think that's a big part of oh, yeah. wanting to be a part of of something. Um, greater than yourself and, and how to participate. Yeah. So yeah, that's a good word. Yeah. yeah, that's actually one of those things. Um, in my Christian leadership class, when I was at a Charleston Southern, they teach you like that's you know part of good leadership. And these people who go around and teach leadership all around to different businesses around the U.S., a lot of them have to study some of these how did Jesus lead books. And that's one of the big things was ownership. He gave ownership to the disciples, right? And it was funny because I learned all that in school and it's kind of like abstract. And then I go to Harris Teeter, I go to Chipotle and all these things and you know, their values right up there is uh, always going to be ownership. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So uh, 
before we wrap up, we, we do our God moment. You all know. You've all been here. Uh, we just ask everyone to share a moment that they saw God in recently, whether it be a blessing, challenge, moment of worship, curse, anything like that. And I always make Josh go first to give the rest of us enough time to think about a God moment. So, Josh, do you have a God moment for us this week? I'm one of those crazy ones that if you go to a Pentecostal church, you've heard a million times probably, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I had a surprise bill kind of come up and I was like, oh man, I have no way to pay this. This stinks. And I was really upset and I actually prayed a lot about it. And I was like, God, I don't know what I'm going to do with this bill. And then the next day, boom, in the mail is, hey, you put too much money in your retirement. We need to know what to do with this amount of money. That was exactly how much I needed. And I was like, oh crazy. I guess I'm going to pay that bill that I have no way to pay. And then my check was a little bit more too. And I was like, Oh, that's crazy. What am I going to do with this little more on my check? And I was like, you know what? I I think it'd be cool if I paid uh, this other bill my wife usually pays. And then I find out uh, because of things with her card, different issues, she has to get a new card. She wasn't actually going to be able to do that. So when I went to surprise her and I was like, Oh, this is going to be fun when she calls to do it. I was like, Oh, well, uh, she's stressing out about it. Let me tell you, uh, I actually got really blessed. And then I shared that with you. And now you don't have to worry about it, which is, you know, also me because, you know, we share bills. But you guys know what I mean, I think. If you're married, you yeah. know what I mean, I think. Yeah. 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 So it was like a double whammy of, wow, uh, God said, hey, uh, what your needs are, I'm going to provide. And I was like, wow, Jehovah Jireh, that's crazy. And uh, here we are. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it was a good one. Uh, so for me, this one's easy, easy week. Um, on the 10th, my nephew was born. Yeah. Nice. Whoa. Yeah, nice. my second nephew. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, nine you're pounds. Such a good uncle. Like you, you give uncle vibes. I'm glad you're. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool uncle. With cool a mustache uncle. like that, you give yeah. you give strong yeah. uncle vibes. Yeah, I learned. Yeah, I, like I learned it. from one of the best. My uncle and his mustache. <laughs> nice, perfect. Yeah. So, uh, Joe, do you have a God moment for us? I do. Um, so uh, myself and um, really the rest of the team in in various ways were were walking through um, uh, high volume seasons, as, as both individually and as a team. Um, it's it's a, it's a very heavy season. Um, there was somebody who within the within the congregation um, who chose to remain anonymous left us cards for for Christmas, and it was just a uh, it was a gift to the to to the pastoral team. Um, that was just a moment of you know you you are seen and and all of that, and it just it 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 was a reminder from from within the context that the things that we do and the things that we walk our folks through matter mm. and and all of that so that was just a that was a cool god moment mm. will do you have a god moment for us this week I do. This past weekend, I was down in Charleston, and I was able to do the wedding uh, for the flower girl that was in my wedding. The flower girl of my wedding got married. So not only do I feel old now, but uh, the fact that this family that I met through being a camp counselor up in the North Carolina Mountains at a Lutheran camp, uh, they were young and high chair and toddlers at the time when I met them when I was in college. Um, but this family became really special to me and was really a, a big role model 
in showing me how to be a family and the kind of family I wanted. And I began this longing to have kids of my own through watching them and getting to know them and their kids. So I was like, I can't wait to have my own kids. So here is Megan, who I just adored when she was little and was a flower girl on my wedding. I'm turning around doing her wedding. So Cindy and I were able to go down there and and do that full circle and, and see the family and voice our appreciation and voice again to them how important they are to us and modeling for us how to be good parents. And, um, and so, yeah. Praise God. That was awesome. That's cool. That's amazing. I met some, some cool kids throughout church camp too. I still Probably not. To at least one of them. <laughs> uh, Did they have so, mustaches then? Not then. A little bit. Uh, so if you, uh, <laughs> if you enjoyed the episode or if you hated the episode, please consider sharing it with a friend, uh, enemy, share with a cousin we all have at least one of those three things yeah Uh, and then if you're listening to this on the amp network youtube channel thank you very much and hit like and subscribe or else not not or else but or else i'll start begging Um, (laughs) and uh if you're on the youtube channel not all of our shows are on that youtube channel but some of them have their own youtube channels some of them have other shows but you can go to spotify or apple Podcasts. They both have a place where you can just find the whole channel and see all of the shows there from the homily with Pastor Will to the Bible After Hours with the Foul Mouth Preacher. It is uh, crazy stuff, fun stuff over there. Check it out. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed it. Coming up soon, we'll be talking with Eric Nevins, founder of the Christian Podcast Association, about the state of Christian podcasts. Uh, Pretty sure it's called Vatican City or something. Uh, After our Christmas break, we'll be interviewing Jared Baez about his newest book, Love Matters More. Pete Enns will be back on to discuss various takes on biblical inerrancy and his absence from Theology Beer Camp and how we can disagree about this. And finally, at the end of season one, Francis Chan will be joining us. Yeah, he doesn't know, though. So someone does have to tell him. Yes, please. please. It's been so long. Uh, Joe is so tired of hearing me say this. I love that half of that. I'm not on here for months and half of the gimmicks are still in place. I love that. Yeah, Yeah, it's been years. The gimmicks do not change. Come back next week. Hear it again. Francis Chan, eventually. Thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. Again, you could always sponsor our show at patreon.com forward slash the Whole Church Podcast or on captivate.fm or on Apple Podcasts. You can also leave us a one-time tip through Captivate. Thank you for listening.